Hello, Deconstructionists. Before I start today's episode, I wanted to let you know about an exciting change you'll hear in the music this week. We now have our very own theme song written by my good friend, Amy Azera, who's an incredible songwriter and vocalist and all-around musician. This new music is upbeat and fun, and it's written with love just for us. You'll also hear a variety of Amy's music in the transitions partway through each episode. So for friends like me who appreciate a little heads up about change, you can expect a slightly different vibe in the music going forward. Today's episode with Christina Carlson is the perfect time to debut this new music. Christina has a way of moving the conversation seamlessly from deep to hilarious in an instant. And this episode is full of our truest laughs, and I hope yours too. Although we don't mention it during the show, all of Christina's info is linked in the show notes, so be sure to check that out if you're interested in connecting with them in the future. Okay, are you ready for our theme song? Here we go. This is Maggie, the host of our podcast, where we'll collectively share our stories and experiences of leaving high-control religion, along with what it's been like for us to find new practices that help us feel good and confident in ourselves. I hope that hearing these stories reminds you that your deconstruction is valid, and most of all, that you are not alone on this journey. You are good, you are loved, and you are worthy, just as you are. Hello, deconstructionists. My guest today is Christina Carlson, who uses she-they pronouns. Christina is a career coach for passionate people who care about building a better world. They're also an international speaker, facilitator, and the host of the podcast, Bitches, Witches, and Queers. Christina is certified through Beautiful You Coaching Academy in Australia and the Devoted Energy Coaching School in South Carolina. They have their bachelor's in theology and have devoted extensive hours to continuing education in intra and interpersonal relationships. Christina works with those who feel like they have had to hide who they are to belong, supporting them to create lives and careers with internal safety, community, belonging, and confidence. Thank you for being here, Christina. Thanks so much for having me. We were just saying before we started recording that um, I followed Christina's account for a long time on Instagram, and um, she's been such an inspiration to me. So I'm happy happy to have you here and to hear a little bit more about your story. So happy to be here. Thanks for inviting me on. Yeah. Um, so I'm just having people start with their with a little bit about their church experience. What kind of church did you grow up in, and what was that like for you? Yeah. I mean, like any experience, it was really multifaceted. Um, The further distance I've gotten from it, the more I've been able to parse that out. I think um, in order to leave, I had to just look at what was wrong so that I could muscle up the courage and energy to leave. Um, But in in the years since, in the distance that I've gotten, I've been able to look back on all of it and see and experience, remember the experiences that I had that were really positive and um, along with everything that was problematic and harmful to me. Mm-hmm. So I I was raised in the Midwest in um, Missouri, which 
Some people will argue about this, but it's technically the Bible Belt because it's the <laughs> southern part of the, you know, Missouri. Anyway. I won't argue from- with you about that. Yeah. <laughs> we can call that the Bible Belt. <laughs> my my grandfather built a church in the south of Missouri, and so it's like, trust me, <laughs> it's the Bible Belt. Um, but it's like very conservative, and um, my parents are really committed people and dedicated. So they raised us, um, with, with like much support from, you know, the church and the Bible in a countercultural way. So we were homeschooled until high school. And then we went to a private, small Christian school. The interesting thing about my background is that my parents came from different denominations and we were raised in many different denominations which I think actually gave me the skill I needed ultimately to leave, um, which was the ability to look at the heart of something and to Mm -hmm. see consistency through multiple, you know, views. Mm -hmm. But I like, um, I remember going to a Messianic Jewish church when I was younger, um, a vineyard church, Baptist church. We did a WANA, which is a Bible program. Um, You know, we did the entire thing. Graduated with my citation award for those of you listening who know what that is. So, um, um, let me, I'm going to test myself. Approved workmen are not ashamed. Yes. Yeah. Damn. Right, you just I still got it. <laughs> yeah. I yes. wasn't, uh, I wasn't a super Awana kid, but it kind of started while I was young-ish in church. So, um, yeah. Yeah. Awana interfered. This will give you a little insight into my, my parents who are absolutely wonderful and raised, raised us in the church, but you know, are on their own journey. That's not mine to share, but they're doing great. Cool. Um, anyway, the Awana time interfered with my mom watching Lost on TV. And so she was, she preferred that I, that I didn't go. So anyway, (laughs) (laughs) it's just one of my favorite, the favorite things to share now. That's fucking Um, fantastic. So anyway, yeah. Awana. All right. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. God, I, I actually, um, the other day, I don't know if uh, your listeners have, have watched the movie inside out. If you have, if you haven't, I highly recommend it. And so will every therapist. Um, (laughs) But there's a part of the show where this song, Triple Mint Gum, keeps getting thrown up from the basement. And Awana's songs are like that for me. Yes. So every once in a while, I'll just be singing that song, the Awana theme song in my head. Or the sparky one, or like, you know, the problematic ones. Yeah, we all have those things that just pop up in our head rent-free. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so that was, that was deeply Baptist, obviously, and Southern Baptist. So it's like white supremacist Baptist. (laughs) I don't even think that's controversial to say at this point, but it's like that it was like deep South, but the church that we attended was like this non-denominational evangelical had its own version of Awana that we didn't go to, but we did go to their youth group. And so that was like a little bit more like typical evangelical. Like we had youth pastors that were like, you know, doing weird things and like (laughs) (laughs) very extreme Bible, literal, you know, like all of that, but it wasn't quite Baptist. Um, The only charismatic experience I had was in that um, vineyard church for like a year when Mm -hmm. I was younger. And I think my parents were really uncomfortable. So we left. (laughs) But all that this oh and then our high school was Nazarene like our high school is Nazarene so then like I and then I went to college at a Calvary Chapel which is like a Jesus movement Bible branch so like my my grandparents were 
brethren and Catholic. So Lord knows we have wow, a yeah. lot, lot of Christianity and a lot of different forms of it. Yeah, you're a mutt of uh, Christ- yeah. of Christianity. I like it. Yeah. Did you go to a Christian college, public college? What was that? Well, like, that you was- have a bachelor's in theology, so. Yeah, it's like, I finally like actually looked at my thing recently. It's a bachelor's <laughs> in biblical studies. Okay. I'm actually applying to grad school right now mm-hmm. um, to be a counselor. So I'll be going hopefully going back to school next fall to get my master's. Um, but my under, or my, yeah, my undergrad is mm-hmm. in biblical studies and that okay. was through Calvary Chapel Bible college okay. in California, um, which is for me in high school, looks quite liberating and free because it yes. was in California and they could wear spaghetti straps. Yeah. And short wow. shorts. <laughs> I was fucking thrilled. <laughs> So when did you just, we have a kind of timeline before we, before we kind of dig in. Um, When did you start to, to leave or to shift your beliefs? Yeah. I mean, like I, my first memories are like from like running from demons in my house, like Mm. being afraid that I was running from demons, you know, like my first memory is like, you know, being afraid of hell, like all the beginning stuff was just like utter terror, Mm -hmm. Um, which is multifaceted, I believe, like my I inherited anxiety and so I I know that that contributed to that as well but the fact that it wasn't um there was no kibosh on it there was no nip it in the bud this isn't actually real it was just like yeah that's really real mm-hmm. <laughs> you need to fight it because it's spiritual warfare um and that was really terrifying so my journey began like with my first memories and I do have one very sacred memory of mine that I I think I was around five and I was sitting in this chapel that my grandpa had built in a camp that he built and the sun was coming in and I felt like I heard God whisper, like, I love you. And I I felt that in the sun, I Mm -hmm. felt that with nature and with light. And, um, that has always stayed with me as one of the most beautiful memories I have. And I still like consider it like sacred. And like, that was the good that I was going back to when I started deconstructing in, Like 2013, probably. Yeah, I love yeah. that. Does light have a special meaning for you today, now? I mean, only in as much that, like, everything is alive. And I feel like the way that the light is, the way that shadows are and, like, nature is lit up, the way the inside of us and our houses, it's not like a deep, it's a deep thing, but it's not a thought out, like, here's my philosophy uh-huh. on this. Um, I just feel really home within that kind of earthy reality, like mm-hmm. with the dirt and with the trees and with natural light. Yeah. You talked a little bit about hell and that kind of core belief that probably stuck with you, but are there any other core beliefs from your time in church that you really internalize either good or bad? Um, and how, and how have those played out in your life? Yeah, there is so many. And what's interesting is like, I I think there's two different ways to feel like you are processing a, like a deconstruct. And there is like one milestone where you get to this place where you're like, Oh, my life isn't about this anymore. Mm-hmm. Like it's no longer about taking that apart. My life is now about other things. Mm-hmm. I've moved on in that sense. But then underneath there, there's still things that come up and I'm like, oh yeah, that's from that, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Um, and a lot of those, a lot of those are just like problematic thinking patterns. 
um, like black and white thinking is something that like an emotional thinking and like future tripping, like all the stuff that it's like making assumptions about reality and thinking there's only two options. And Mm -hmm. like, it's the subtle, subtle ways of thinking that were put within that framework that I was told my entire life that tend to like loop into other things that I'm incorporating. Like it's been really challenging for me to develop a spiritual practice that has allowed for like non-black and white thinking, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Because that's like where my mind goes. I'm like, well, if it's not this, then it's this. And I've had incredible mentors and people in my life who've been like, no, that's religion. (laughs) I'm like, oh, shit. another option? Yeah. (laughs) Um, What are some ways that this black and white thinking has played out in your life? Or Mm. if you want to take it a different way, what are some ways that you have kind of shifted out of black and white thinking and and into more of a gray space? Mm. Yeah, well, I I think one of the the bigger ones, especially at the beginning, has been like the concept of God or universe and what exactly that means in relation to people or Mm. humanity. Like, and, and this idea that like, if something good is going to happen, that it's just going to happen. And you can like make it happen by like thinking or believing a certain way, mm-hmm. like tricking the universe or tricking God. Yeah. It's like, it's like belief mind games, yeah. I think is what it, it, it tends to come out as. Like if I like, I, okay. I think a great example of this is like the positive positivity movement that like left out the depth of spirituality that it came from where it's just like you just have to think positively and it'll all be yours like (laughs) bliss you know like good vibes only like it completely bypasses like humanity for the sake of like really getting something and that's like another black and white spirituality where it's just like you just have to get in this right vibration and this right thing and then everything like comes to you and it's it becomes like an obsession it becomes like a another religion where it's just like you just have to do all the right things or think all the right things and then Mm -hmm. you're like before you know it you're back to like take every thought captive and (laughs) it's like wait wait how did i end up here i thought i got rid of that (laughs) it's like okay now we know we're back here (laughs) so really like i think one of the most challenging things has been has been balance has -hmm. been like understanding what it means to co-create with the universe like what people will say like in in the sense that like I am because I'm a living being I have like matter and energy just like anything else that's alive and I also have choice and so I can choose different things and there's like there is life in me and I do have choice and there is also things beyond my control. It's like, oh, that's what it means to be alive, right? Mm-hmm. But I wasn't told that. Right. I was told that I had like a line to God that would like be above and beyond and like it, it's magical thinking. And not that I don't think like magic is real. In many ways, magic is real. But like in the way that we were taught, it was just like transcending reality mm-hmm. when reality I think is where the magic is yeah yeah that's such a beautiful such a beautiful way to put that um thinking about what you said about this kind of right and wrong black and white in your mind as a kid or thinking back to being in the church what did it mean to be wrong or to be bad like what were the um what were the consequences of that 
Yeah, I mean, even as you're asking that question, I'm like, ooh, shit, there's so many implications to that. <laughs> because because two things can, can happen, right? Like, you can you can think you're bad, and so you constantly try to make up for who you are, mm-hmm. which I think I fell into that category in many ways. Just mm-hmm. like, I have to make up for being me. That's mm-hmm. just like, that has been a huge point of healing for me in this journey is like, I don't have to make up for being me. Being human is enough. Being me is okay. And that is that is gone far deeper than just like saying that, you know, it's it's a, like a rewiring of your entire brain. The other thing that can happen, which I think happens in a different kind of brain is you create an ego of the good person. And maybe this both happens simultaneously because I've experienced this as well. You you create a persona of a good person so much so that when something bad comes up about you, it's there's so much cognitive dissonance, you experience just shame and you can't see it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's yeah. like, I guess like white tears, like I feel like that would fall into that category, just like an overwhelming shame that like your goodness has come into question. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, oh my God, like I'm a good person. And it's like, well, we weren't talking about that. But like that's that's the shame trigger, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So we're I just think- we're fighting so hard to be good. Mm-hmm. But we also have this idea of like total depravity and we're evil and we're bad and we're born sinful that like we're never yeah. good, but we're trying to be good, but we're never good. And it's just this endless cycle and you're kind of you're always sort of like defending but like but I am good but I'm not you know Mm -hmm. just get stuck well because you are really good you're a good person or you're evil Mm -hmm. and there there is no room for growth in that space because there's no oh like I'm a good person that I made a mistake and now I can learn from it it's just I'm good or like I'm fucked (laughs) right yeah (laughs) and I I know I'm not fucked because Jesus saved me I have this strong memory of, you know, every, every month we did communion at my church and, Mm. um, our pastor would always say like right before communion, you know, take a minute, bow your heads and confess your sins to God. And I was like, I was a really good kid. Like I was scared of being bad. So I followed all the rules and I would sit there and try to think of all the bad things that I did, but I couldn't think of any. And then I felt like I'm a bad person because I can't think of the bad things that I did. Mm -hmm. And so then the, the bad things that I did ended up being like, or in my mind, it was like, well, I'm so full of pride because I... I can't think of something wrong that I did. So I'm a very prideful person. And um, anyway, it's just a really fucked up place to be in as a, what, eight-year-old, you know? Yeah. Trying to, trying to like rack your brain for all the bad things you did. Mm -hmm. That's not healthy. No, I love that you brought that up too, especially in relation to communion. So first thing I want to say is like the only thing we could come up with was lust and pride when we were that age because we were we were horny and we couldn't think of what we were doing wrong. Um, but like the the communion thing was so extreme because I don't know if, I don't know if you were taught this, but it was like if you took the blood of Christ in the wrong like you didn't confess your sins first you could be possessed by the devil yes i was we didn't have a lot of like possession but it was like you have sinned against the lord if you didn't if you like weren't in the right space the right uh, you didn't confess enough i don't know 
Yeah, it was like a double problem. Yeah, so I was always so afraid. I asked I asked Jesus into my heart every time, you know, before we did communion just to be safe. Yeah, yeah, same. Like I'm going to confess all my sins. Yeah. And then I would still like take the cracker and just like hold my breath to be possessed <laughs> by this. I was like, I hope I don't get possessed this time. <laughs> Okay, so kind of shifting, moving a little bit forward in your timeline, what led you to deconstruct or what are some of the reasons that you started to shift your beliefs? Yeah, I was thinking about this question because it it feels like a lot of the time it's not just one thing, you know? Yeah. Um, And there are like pretty defining moments. I have one very defining moment. I was traveling. It was, I went through this really dramatic breakup in 2013 and I moved to a different city lived with my brother and sister-in-law at the time and like I was like okay like I'm broken I need to start over so I found it at Acts 29 church you know joined a small group and like (laughs) was like I'm just gonna like start from scratch this is me with my bachelor's in biblical studies like I need to like get to the heart of the gospel you know and like I I went on this journey of like asking God to show me who he really was and I was like I like it doesn't matter like I just want to know like I'll take whatever it is that comes at me you know I probably would have joined a cult at this time (laughs) if someone had offered but I was just ready and uh on this trip to Mexico it was a second trip so the first trip we went to El Salvador my brother and I and that was pretty eye-opening just meeting different people um But the second trip, we were in Mexico, and I met a girl from England who was an atheist who asked me if, or asked my brother and I, she was like, I've never met a Christian. I've never met someone who's homeschooled. Like, do you really think people are going to hell? And like, I just paused, and my brother was like, not literally. And I was like, what? (laughs) You don't? But like, even even as she asked it, I was like, I don't know if I can say yes to that. That's really weird. Yeah. Looking at you. Yeah. I don't know if I can say that to you. Like, it doesn't compute. Mm-hmm. And so, like, that was the beginning of my, like, I don't think I can, I can believe in hell. Like, I have to, like, take that concept apart because a literal, a literal Bible and a literal hell just doesn't make sense. So I, of course, began like the the Rob Bell deconstruction. Yeah, I was going to say, did you get into Love Wins? <laughs> yes. Yeah, Love Wins. I actually, before I got Love Wins, I was reading... Um, Velvet Elvis? I was reading his his Tumblr. Oh, okay. He had this Tumblr and um, it was just like all these like pages of his writing about like explanation for how like stories of the Bible not literal and Mm -hmm. still like having a moral to share. And Mm -hmm. I was like utterly raptured by this. I was like, ah, I have to like read all this. It's so interesting. And so that kind of allowed me to like maintain a semblance of my faith while dropping away like pieces Mm -hmm. at a time in that I like, because of my upbringing, because I'd been to so many different churches, I was used to getting to the heart and holding out to the heart. Right. Mm -hmm. I was like, well, I don't think, you know, the bread becomes the way, you know, like I I had the ability to like filter somewhat. So as I was doing this deconstruction process, I was filtering down 
Christianity to what I could really know to be true. And that kind of, then it was like, okay, well, the Bible's not literal and hell's not literal. Like, where do I go from here? And mm-hmm. I just, I kept like feeling like, well, the overall message is that like God is good, that there's goodness here. There's ultimate goodness. So following goodness and like, it just kind of like kept expanding from there. And then like, <sighs> I still remember the last church I tried to go to. I was like throwing up in the bathroom every time I stepped Aww. in the building because it was just so traumatizing <laughs> and triggering. But I was like, I came to realize that I was queer and then we were still attending churches. And I was like, I can't, I can't, like, I just can't do this. Like, I think I would rather die than go back here and we can't do this. And, um, and then from there, we kind of like went on our own, like more deeper deconstruction of all of that. Yeah. I mean, it's awful that, you know, that you have, and so many of us, I think, have this experience of going into a church and throwing up or having a panic attack or, um, you know, these experiences are awful, but there's also something so beautiful about our bodies telling us this is not okay Mm -hmm. anymore. Like, I don't, I don't want to be here. Get me out. And um, so anytime I hear a story like that, I'm always like, look at how beautiful our bodies are that they, Mm -hmm. they, it was protecting you, you know? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think that's, there's a million versions of our story, right? Like every time we tell it, there's a new Mm -hmm. perspective because we're new every time we tell the story. Um, one of the, one of the ways that I've viewed my story is I began deconstruction far before I, I like consciously knew it. I was living in Hawaii in, uh, 2012. I lived in Hawaii on and off for five years like was in a community that started to go into a cult. And that was when I left. But in during that time frame, I took hula. And I was not allowed to like dance growing up. The communities that we were in, high school, like it was dancing was like bad. Mm-hmm. So I found this loophole because this church offered hula as like praise and worship. I joined. I was very scared to join because it felt like intimidating. Mm-hmm. But like I joined and I took to that like nobody's business. Like it, it was all in the hips, right? It's like a hip, a hip swaying dance basically. And like it's spiritual to the Hawaiian people. Um, and it had been colonized right. by Christians. And that was the version that I was practicing. But I was taught by a Hawaiian woman. Mm-hmm. And I think that I was tapping into my body in a way that I had never before through the original intention of that spiritual practice. So there was a part of me that connected to that deeper spirituality. And also I was just moving my hips in a sensual way, not necessarily sexual, but sensual. And I started to feel my body. The reason I broke up with my ex is because I was like physically ill about it. Especially every time we talked about like getting married and moving to this tiny town he wanted to move to. And like, <laughs> my mom asked me the question. She was like, well, would you rather, you know, be in this tiny town with this person or like anywhere else without him? And I was like, anywhere, anywhere else, else without him. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I don't, I don't just, I don't want to do it. Um, and I, it was my body. It was like all my body responding. I like physically felt ill over it. Yeah. And that was the, and then afterwards I felt that relief and I was like, oh, my head feels calm. Yeah. My body feels calm. And I felt the same process happen 
with deconstruction was this like unrest and physical like illness until I took the action I needed to. And then I felt peace and rest. And I was like, this is what it means. Yeah. This is what people get to feel when they're free. Well, I'm thinking too, back in in back in church days, um, back when we were in church, we at least I got this message that our bodies were bad and we shouldn't listen to them and we kind of learned to turn them off. Um, mm. was that true for you as well? Yeah, especially part? especially in the area of hips. Mm-hmm. Like that was like a feminine sexuality that was like <laughs> do not awaken desire until, you know, <laughs> Song of Solomon or whatever. And like, don't cause your brother to stumble. You know, you wouldn't want to yeah. be a stumbling block for anybody. Yeah, I think I um, I had my own, like, mini sexual awakening when I was doing hula and, like, experimenting, experimenting with my boyfriend at the time. It was shrouded in shame, like, for damn sure. But, like internally I was just like this is amazing (laughs) I I had so I had so much sexual shame in like my experience it's still something I'm like unpacking but I had like severe vaginismus when I started to have sex like the and doctors don't know how to deal with that typically unless you're talking to a special a pelvic floor specialist Mm -hmm. you know which is like alternative most of the time Um, so it was something that I had to work through on my own. And so that's like, because of all the trauma of messages around my sexuality, that was just like, so it was just so bad. Yeah. And I just, to, I don't know, make sure that listeners know this, like vaginismus is so common in people coming out of purity culture and like Mm. all of this sexual shame, like we, we, so many of us experience this. I won't say we all, but so many of us experience this and it's so normal and common and, um, and honestly like a healthy, a healthy reaction from our body for what we went through. Our body Mm -hmm. is telling us, no, this is not okay. Um, yeah, you internalize that after so many years and there's like, there's like, in a sarcastic way, comically weird shit that we were told. Yeah. (laughs) I remember being at this, like, you know, like a purity retreat in like high school. And there was like, okay, so there was this couple, Charles and Martha. And Martha was like, you know, discipling the girls and Charles was discipling the boys. And Charles liked to touch the girls. Um, He always like put his hands up my shirt to tickle me. He was a creep. Um, And Martha, I remember this one like circle time we had with just the girls and it was like, you know, like talking about modesty, of course, because that was all we got to talk about Mm -hmm, was like mm -hmm. our modesty and the boys Mm -hmm. talked about their sexuality. So we didn't have a sexuality. We had a modesty protocol. Our our job is just to make sure that, you know, we are responsible for the boys sexuality. Yeah. Yeah. It was all centering around that. that. Yes. (laughs) But she, she was like. I think everyone was in their pajamas and she was talking about spaghetti straps. Cause you know, that was like the Christian yoga pants of the day when everyone was like, this is so bad. How dare you show your butt? Um, But it was like, you know, how dare you have shoulders, but we were allowed to wear tank tops made zero sense. But she was like, I wear this to turn my husband on. And it was like this plain black tank top. And I was like, interesting. (laughs) Power is what I'm hearing you say. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah. 
So I was like, I was buying spaghetti straps after that. And like, I wasn't allowed to wear them, but I wore them under everything and Mm -hmm. made sure that they were showing in some capacity. Mm -hmm. Um, Because I was like, I'm just going to explore my sexuality in my own, like, subconscious way. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I love too that like looking back, you can see these small ways that you have like, that there's this common thread that's remained true for you and that there was part of you then that embraced your sexuality even before you really knew what it was. Um, Yeah. And I think, I always think that's so beautiful to find these pieces that have like been, been true throughout. Yeah. It it is really interesting. It's also it's also interesting now, like reclaiming parts of myself that I abandoned in deconstruction mm-hmm. mm. and I'm now coming back to reclaim as like, oh, that was me. That was, this is me again. Yeah. I'm like, curious what those parts are. Yeah. I think, I think like the spiritual aspects and also like, there's a lot of confidence that's come back and my, like my likability, like I'm just a very likable person and always have been. But I went through this phase in deconstruction where I was like, I'm just a rebel and like done on it. Like, you know, I was like very like, I'm, you know, all this like almost like putting an edge out to protect myself. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And realizing that 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 really wasn't that was me protecting myself. Mm -hmm. That's not like the soft me that has always existed. Mm -hmm. And I feel like because I'm in a safe place now, I'm coming back to the softness of like, now I have like a structure of who I am and I feel like I'm able to be like soft within that again, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. I think that's such a beautiful way to, to put that, to describe that. And, and just to like honor the protective parts too, you know, they're there for a reason. And then, like you said, now you're in a safer place. And so you can, you don't need it as much anymore and you can yeah. embrace the softness in those parts yeah, of and you. Isn't it interesting? Like, I don't know. There, there's like, there's so many of these times in our life, maybe not as extreme as this, but like I always tell my daughter, like all of life is waiting for something. You're literally always in the process of something. You're always waiting for something. Mm-hmm. That's kind of the point of existing is waiting for something, right? We build anticipation, we climax, then we, you know, chill out for a while. Like this is like the cycle of life. And I, when I think about like the protector parts of me that have protected me the past few years, I'm working to see this not as a, like a line, even an up and down line, but rather it's more of like an upward spiral or a spiral or just a swirly gig Mm -hmm. because like the skills that I have in protecting myself, I still have those Mm -hmm. and I can use those. And all of this is now at my disposal. I'm not past needing that there will be moments when I need that. And now I know I have it Yeah, for the times that I will need it. Yeah. It doesn't leave you. It's still part of you and you get to choose when you use it. That's up to, yeah. up to you and you have control over that. Yeah. yeah. It's, and it, even instinctually, I know that like, if I'm trusting that I'm always doing my best and my body is always doing my best when that stuff comes up and that's my response, then I can look at that with grace and say, okay, why are you here? There must be a good reason. Mm -hmm. I'm curious just to kind of shift us back to deconstruction specific things. What were some of the heart, like the hardest parts for you of leaving or thinking about leaving? And I'm, I'm thinking back to what you said at the beginning about, um, 
looking back at your church experience and finding some things that were really good and beautiful about it. And I don't know, were any of those parts hard to leave or have you found some of those again? I I don't know. It's interesting. I was already in such a place of like, I'm going to fuck shit up. Like, I'm going to fuck shit up and find God was like my goal, right? Mm. Um, and like that already was taboo. And I was, I just moved to a new city. I wasn't in constant contact with anyone from my previous life. I just broke it up with the one person who I talked to about everything. Mm -hmm. Um, And I was around people who were kind of getting curious about the same things. So I deconstructed in community. Still felt very isolating at times because no one can like think through those experiences for you. But I wasn't completely alone. Mm Mm-hmm. And, um, it's interesting because like, I think the hardest part of deconstruction for me has been learning to be with difference, mm. not to be different. I found it quite easy to jump to like, now I'm a liberal in all things. And let me Google that to see what that means. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it was just like jumping to a new philosophy and like, that was easy in many ways, but like the hardest most challenging thing has been to be with the vulnerability of what it means to be with difference in other people and be okay in yourself. Mm-hmm. Because we were taught to fear what was different. We were taught to fear secular people. They're so intimidating and like they're lost. And so we like villainized them and also like demeaned them in many ways in our minds to like create this separation. And, you know, innocently enough, that's all we'd ever been taught. Um, it's how we coped, but like shifting that was really challenging instead of just looking at Christians and being like, they're bad. And the reason that society is not evolving and whatever, you know, it's like, I was once that and I was good and I was not necessarily doing good, but I had the capacity to do good. And I was still a human being worthy and deserving of love. Mm-hmm. as I always have been. And I think, I mean, don't get me wrong. I think there's time for rage. Absolutely. And there's time for protest. That time is now. Um, but I feel like as far as like my individual personal purpose in, in this is finding the capacity to be with what is and supporting other people in their capacity to be with what is mm-hmm. rather than resisting reality because Resisting reality is where all of that came from, right? Yeah. It's finding a way to finding a way to transcend being human and I'm learning and supporting people to be with being human. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think now about how I view all of us kind of coming out of church or deconstructing our beliefs, but staying in church and finding a healthier version. And even my ability to view it like that as like, oh, look at how all of our paths are are different and going to be different. Mm-hmm. That's such a different mindset than what we had in the church, which is you either believe the right thing or you don't. It's either mm-hmm. right or wrong. And to now know that like there's all this gray in between that's okay. And to mm-hmm. know that like for some people being in the church maybe is a safer place than it was for me. And it's hard for me to say and acknowledge, but like for some people, maybe that is the right place for them. And it wasn't for me. And, Mm -hmm. and that's okay. Like they still have 
the capacity for good, they're still worthy of love. Um, Mm. even if it's not what I agree with, or, um, even if it brings up feelings of anger for me to sit with that Mm. and it's part of being human. Yeah. Yeah. I, I feel like there should be a hotline. If someone you love is deep in the evangelical <laughs> church, here's the steps you can take. I I like, I realized something after being like close friends with many people and also like supporting people and just, you know, living, I guess. If someone's in an abusive situation, the last thing you want to do is isolate them. Mm-hmm. Um, if you, if you can stay and open neutral channel for them because when and if they do decide to leave you will be a place where they can go and that is not your job very clear if it's triggering for you that's not your fucking job Mm -hmm. they'll be okay but if you feel like you get something from this relationship you feel like you both it's mutually beneficial you love this person they love you then you want to be there for them like it's it's beautiful to find a neutral space for that. Yeah. And I, I think about the people who were that for me when I was still in church, it's like, Mm. it would have been easy and justifiable for them to just say like, no, I'm, I'm not being around you. And people who did that, like they have every right to do that. But I think about the people who sat with me and explained their beliefs and explained their views when I asked, not in a way to try to convince me, just like, you know, this is, this is what I believe. And that was so helpful for me to be seen as human and to have this kind of neutral channel, like you said, to talk about this Mm. because otherwise I don't know, I don't know how I would have gotten out. Yeah. And I think it's so important here to like tell people who are newly deconstructed and in like a very triggered space, like just wait as long as you fucking need to, to feel like you are ready for that. And if you're not ever ready for that, then don't feel like you have to do that. But for for some of us and for me at this point there's some there is in some ways i have a different capacity to have genuine curiosity mm-hmm. and um when that's available to me um i can offer that mm-hmm. but it's like it's not something that like i'm seeking out at this point <laughs> yeah same and i think for me just to give a little more context i think for me the people that played that role were people who were kind of like one step ahead of me and so mm. it wasn't people necessarily like coming back to save me it was just like we were friends that were sort of on on parallel but shifting journeys mm. and so yeah. it wasn't like a big stretch for either of us to be there for the other one it felt very mm. um within you know what was within our capacity and so yeah don't don't do that if it doesn't feel good for you or if it feels triggering for you of course i feel like some of the most profound shifts for me happened if people who are religious of other faiths Mm, yeah talk about that like jewish friends i had i had a friend um my first job that i got in kansas city so at the beginning of this journey um through the time that i like knew her i was a devoted christian um so i wouldn't like have said she started my deconstruction however she did shift a lot in me from from being genuinely curious and kind about like I think I, I think I was like dating someone who wasn't a Christian or like sort of dating someone who wasn't a Christian. And like I was in conflict over it, you know, I was like, oh, but they're not, you know. And she was like, well, how important is it to you? And I was like, well, I, it's very important. And then she's like, okay, then I think you know. And I was just, 
it was baffling to me. I was like, how how is someone who's not a Christian supporting me to be more religious? You know, it was it was just like really bizarre to me. And also I felt like so much genuine kindness. Yeah, I, I feel like that example is like she was looking out for what you wanted, like what you cared about mm-hmm. and what was important to you. Yep. And I think that is at the heart of it all. You know, like if if church is what's important yeah. to you, then I'm not trying to get you out of it. And if, mm-hmm. you know, if you, if being with someone who's a Christian is what's important to you at, at that time, then yeah, then you know yeah. for yourself. It was so empowering. Yeah. And I think that's, that's something that like I, up to that point, I hadn't experienced because the experience of being in dogmatic religion for me and for, I know a lot of people is, in fact, I won't even, I won't even say the experience, the nature of it is that it tells you what and how to do things, right? It tells you like quite literally what you should be thinking about this mm-hmm. and how you should be viewing this. And it's not it's not about you at all. You are to die to yourself. You are to let yourself be at the mercy of, you know, whatever God is telling you to do and then whatever your husband is telling you to do, whatever the church is telling you to do. There is submission. There is no empowerment especially not for women, especially not for people of color, especially not for queer people. There is not that empowerment. And that is what that is that you're describing. And that is fundamental to like any supporting role that a person plays. It's fundamental to relationship. It's fundamental to professional coaching. And when I'm in therapy, that's a fundamental like truth you need to believe in the dignity and wholeness of another human being and to trust them to know what's best for them Mm -hmm. simply because we cannot choose for other people and we were taught that someone else chose for us yeah and that's so that's another fundamental thing that it's like I just want someone to tell me what to do and how to learn to be human is to learn to like trust yourself and like we weren't taught how to do that so like that is a part of the healing process of like really becoming human again. It's like, oh, no one's going to tell me. In fact, no one should tell me. They should hold space for me to know for me, which is what that person did for me. Yeah. Yeah. I feel that. Like, I just need someone to tell me what to do. It's like, nope, that's my job. I have to tell me what to do. I have to figure that mm. out. And I, I get to. I have to and I get to. Yeah. I feel both things. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And like, I I think it's absolutely the best when you you have someone – who can hold space for you where you can say, I just want you to tell me what to do. And they're like, yeah, I know. (laughs) So what do you think? (laughs) Um, I'm curious. I'm going to shift us a little bit again. I'm curious what your relationship with divinity is now. I know you're a deeply spiritual person. um, And yeah, what does your relationship with divinity look like now? Yeah. So one of the, one of the main reasons that I felt drawn out of Christianity was it felt like it was way too small. Like it, it felt like I just was like, I just need something bigger. This is not, this does not include everyone. This does not include everything. And from there, I went to the practice of kind of like looking for the heart again of what that means. What is the heart of spirituality? What is the heart of this thing? What is it? What is like, what is the bare bones of, of being human? What is the bare bones of spirituality? Like I am just fascinated by like the truth in everything and the core of everything. And So my mind works in like seeing things as systems and seeing how they overlap. Like I I hear a lot of spiritual concepts that overlap with psychological concepts 
or ideas in in like Buddhism that are actually reflected in parts of the Bible. Like there's just, it's like a kaleidoscope. Like I see spirituality as a kaleidoscope that like everything matters and nothing does. We literally are beings that create meaning and because we create it, then it means something and then it has impact. And that's, that's such a powerful capability to have that so many of us shy away from. But if we know how to effectively do that for ourselves, it can be empowering and empower others. But it has to be done not telling people what to do. <laughs> and what I see so often is like, I, I just, okay, I love cult documentaries because obviously. Yes, yeah, same. They're know. so comforting <laughs> in a weird way. <laughs> so it's like, oh, yes, you see me. You've been there. Um, I saw, I watched one today called The Twin Flames. You haven't seen it? I have not. I'll put it on my list. Trigger warnings, all the trigger warnings, right. and also, you know, yeah. if it helps you, please watch. <laughs> um, it's about a coaching cult, which I found, you know, unique and interesting. But, like, there, there's, there is the same exact thing happening. There is, there is someone, whether it's, like, an authority or a text or a person who is saying and interpreting things for God. And for, for you, they're, they're interpreting for you or they are manipulating to interpret for you, which is more of the evangelical way. It's like, no, that's what this scripture means. And it's like, that's the same thing. (laughs) (laughs) But like, I, I have found in looking and looking at that, that that is the stuff that I'm like, oh, that's the shallow end of this. That is the shallow end of spirituality to, to like claim to know for someone else. Like that's, that's so, that's so ego level. Yeah. It's so much more expansive than that. Yeah. It's, it's like, it's you making meaning and it's you like understanding for yourself what that means for you and not for anyone else. And I find like the more spiritualities that I learn about, the more psychology I learn about, the more I'm seeing like the same human patternings over and over again. And that I think is my spirituality is finding the core of everything, learning to be with what is at the heart of everything. Yeah. And that's been so true through your um, deconstruction story that you've shared is finding the heart. And then when it seems like there's more, you go back and you look at, you know, what's at the heart and you just keep coming back to that. And I think that's really beautiful um, that that's still kind of the core of your spirituality practice for yourself now. Yeah. Um, to kind of bring us to a close, I like to end with some kind of encouragement for our listeners. So what kind of encouragement would you offer, especially the listener in the throes of their deconstruction still, um, who's maybe not sure how to start to reconnect with themselves? What kind of encouragement or advice might you give to them? Mm, of reconnecting to themselves? Mm-hmm. Or if you have a different kind of encouragement that you'd like to offer. Oh, yeah. I mean, I could give lots. <laughs> you're doing this for you and that's fucking fantastic (laughs) if it's all you do in your life that's more than enough um to reconnect with yourself i would i would take your time and take it slow um follow what brings you joy i would recommend something involving your body and movement slow fast doesn't matter whatever appeals to you in a way that keeps you in the present moment because the more you can be present with your experience of life however that looks to you, the more you're going to know what your own presence feels like. And that is, that is you. 
is what you need right now. Something my therapist told me that was really profound for me in the like, who am I question, you know, I was like, well, who the fuck am I now? Like, I just left literally everything I know. Who am I? Um, what, what do you need? What do you feel right now? And what do you want right now? Do you know anything right now? That's who you are right now. Like you need, you're hungry. Okay. That's a part of you. Like it can be that simple. And I think the profound larger labels that we want to put on ourselves, like if you need one, take it. But like, you don't actually have to have them to have a good life. Those are, those are attachments. Those are stories that we tell ourselves for a time to create safety. So if you want to create one, create one, but you don't actually need it. What you need is to meet the need that you can understand right now to take the next step that you know you need to take, whether it's just going to sleep and getting a drink of water, like that is who you are right now. And being with that and recognizing that that is more than enough is one of the most healing things that you can do for yourself. Yeah. I love that. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Um, Well, thank you for being here and thanks for sharing these really special, valuable parts of your own story and helping other people feel less alone. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me, Maggie. Thanks for listening to another episode of Hello Deconstructionists. If you have any questions, comments, or parts of your own experience you'd like to share on the podcast, you can email me at hello.decons at gmail.com. And as always, you can find me over on Instagram at hello underscore deconstructionists, where together we are building community post-evangelicalism. Huge thank you to Amy Azera for writing the theme song for this podcast. And when this sweet little bop inevitably gets stuck in your head, I hope it reminds you of this wonderful community that's here with you. Thanks to all our guests for sharing these parts of their stories with us. And of course, to you for listening. See you next time. Gotta deconstruct. Oh.